to the the kickoff meeting to of of uh, enroll. Um, enroll is uh, the speaker series for everyone interested in the latest developments in human rights and um, rule of law. I'm Dr. Stephanie Lemke, and together with my colleague Shao Kongui, we are, will guide you today through this webinar. The, today's topic is the rule of law in Europe and, and China. We are very happy to have two wonderful speakers, Mina Peteto, the president of the Council of Europe's Consultative Council of European Judges and judge of the Supreme Court of the Republic of Slovenia, and Yolanda Shu, an attorney with Hyrum Law Firm in Beijing. Later, Yolanda will speak about litigation rights in China, and Mina will talk about the, uh, the changing role of the judiciary in a modern democracy. So what we will do um, today is that after both presentations, my, my colleague Xiao Kongrui will briefly discuss both presentations. And uh, we will then give the floor for, to your comments and, and questions. But for now, um, I will give the floor to Nina. And yeah, we will look forward to your presentation. Applause for Nina. Hello. Let me just share. Yes, it works. So I will speak about the changing role of judiciary in a uh, modern democracy. Uh, but before I do so, let me just say uh, one more thing about myself. Um, I am the president of the uh, Consultative Council of um, European Judges, which is an advisory body uh, of the Council of Europe. And um, uh, this special body advises the Committee of Ministers on various questions um, uh, that is pertinent to judges and uh, the judiciary, the status of judges. Maybe a few more words about this uh, later. Um, now, I believe uh, that over the last two decades or so, the judiciary or the judiciaries in Europe has changed. And uh, in this my little speech, I want to talk about these external factors affecting the judiciary uh, and uh, factors also coming from inside of the judiciary. Now to start, uh, with the external factor, uh, I think the most important one that also profoundly changed the judiciary is the changing character of the activities of the legislative executive branch of power. Uh, I think that um, the that traditional triad of three powers of state, so executive, legislative, um, uh, and judicial, does not apply anymore, at least not in practice, uh, because um, the executive and legislative branch of power, uh, they're ever more entangled and intertwined. And um, uh, sometimes, um, or what usually happens, that the executive is completely subordinated, or excuse me, just the other way around, that the legislative it is subordinated to the executive branch of power. 
this is the way it should be that the, the executive is somehow subordinated to the legislative but in many cases this is this is this not thought, does this does not take the place as you can see uh, on this uh, little slide uh, also in some established democracies i'm not talking about some banana republics here i'm talking about established democracies uh, where um, the president would say we do not need the legislative power anymore because all the vital decisions can be made um, in the executive. And also talking about uh, the legislative, uh, there is much less codification, um, like the civil code, the criminal code. Uh, there is much more um, uh, laws that are policy, not law-oriented, but policy-oriented, for example, uh, on such issues as immigration, um, some of them also very technical, um, very diverse, immigration, urban planning, uh, um, you can think of. So the, the law has uh, become the instrument of choice to achieve certain policy goals uh, that are um, uh, set up by the executive. Um, and in general, there, we have seen more state intervention and activity uh, today in the world. So this is the most important external factor also that has got a huge impact on the judiciary, uh, which in, in its turn has become more than before a corrective power. And this is something that people should understand um, that um, very often what happens the vulnerable groups, um, the, the, the only one they can rely on and they can turn to is judiciary, provided it is independent, of course. When the judiciary is independent, it, 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 it is like a corrective power that is also a shield, uh, a protection um, of the people, of the citizens against the legislative and executive uh, power. Uh, for example, here I put on the slide one example. Um, uh, it, was a, it was a while ago um, when um, uh, President, then President Trump, um, uh, uh, issued an executive order which kept travelers from seven countries coming into the US. And uh, what happened? So it was clearly the executive power. And uh, what happened? So that correction power uh, of the judiciary, uh, Washington State Attorney uh, General asked for a temporary restraining order. Uh, and then US judge in Seattle temporarily blocked uh, President Trump's travel ban. So it was clearly um, that, that corrective measure that was implemented uh, by the US judge. Uh, and also what happens, not just the corrective power, but it adopts an increased role in lawmaking. So it is the, the so-called judicial lawmaking. It is no more true what was in the past when judges they were solely 
uh, bush de la loi. Now, very often, they are much more active and uh, um, what they produce is usually called the so-called judicial judicial uh, lawmaking. Of course, it, it can. this is a slippery ground. It can get dangerous because it, it can also pave the way to judicial activism, uh, which means judicial activism that they trespass and they become lawmakers, real lawmakers, which they're not supposed not to be according to the traditional separation of power. So this is, this is um, uh, one thing. And another external factor I would like to mention is the information society. Um, cyber justice, information technology, role of the media, artificial intelligence. And they have certain demands, expectations towards the judiciary. Uh, they want more transparency. They don't want the judiciary uh, to, to, to be locked, to be closed in their ivory tower. They want accountability. They want freedom and accessibility to information coming from outside. These are their, their demands. And now uh, let's see how about internal um, factor. The first one is mm, a legal demand. So th these are some requirements that we impose, that the judiciary imposes on itself. For example, like uh, the Charter on Fundamental uh, Rights uh, of the EU states, uh, I purposely decided not to choose this time the European Convention of Human Rights, Article 6, but it's very similar, but in different contexts. Just here in this case, we have just uh, 27 countries, and uh, in the case of um, uh, the signatories to the Convention of Human Rights, uh, we have many more, we have 47 signatories. But um, Article 47, art, uh, uh, Paragraph 2 states that everyone is entitled to a fair and public hearing, so legal demands, uh, within a reasonable time by an independent and impartial tribunal previously established by law. So. Um, uh, these are legal demands that come from inside of the judiciary. So the, the judiciary imposes on itself. Now, someone could ask the question, why is independence important? Um, the purpose of independence is to guarantee every person the fundamental right to have their case decided in a fair trial on legal grounds only and without any improper influence. So, as I said before, provided the, in, um, the judiciary is independent, the vulnerable groups and ordinary citizens are important, are protected. So, judicial independence is therefore a prerequisite to the rule of law. This is, this is the, the connection. There is um, no rule of law without judicial uh, independence. And I'm very often unpleasantly surprised how ordinary people don't understand the principle. And there is uh, still very often that conviction that um, uh, the, the rule of law and independence of judiciary is not something that is a prerequisite to the rule of law, but that this is a privilege for the judges, you know, that the, 
Of course, it never means, it does not mean that the judges are not accountable. Of course, they are accountable. Uh, and this independence of judiciary is just the other side of the same coin. So on one side, we have the accountability, and on the other side, it is the independence. Um, and um, let me just explain also impartiality, the subjective impartiality, and objective, uh, but what appears, appears objective. Account must also be taken of considerations relating to the functions exercised and to internal organization. As we say, justice must not only be done, it must also be seen to be done. And also uh, internal factors, another one, democratic demands, not from outside uh, requests are coming uh, to have more transparency, accountability and openness. Also from inside, we have such requests that judicial itself demands more from inside, more transparency, accountability, and uh, uh, openness. Um, this is the last thing. In fact, I don't want to, to, to abuse uh, the time. This is the last thing I want to explain. Um, uh, what is judicial accountability? Because in the context of um, judiciary, of course, judicial accountability has got a special meaning. In this context, an accountable must be understood as being required to give an account, that is to give reasons and to explain decisions in relation to cases that the judges we must decide. It does not mean, of course, that the judiciary is subordinate or responsible to another power, to executive, uh, to the Ministry of Justice, uh, to the legislative, uh, because that would betray its constitutional role of being an independent body whose function is to decide cases impartially and according uh, to law. Uh, maybe this would be enough. I would stop here. And I'm looking already uh, uh, to our discussion and uh, uh, questions, hopefully. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for your presentation. And Nina, so it's very important like you just did, to, to look at uh, judicial accountability and also to remind judges of the very powerful role they have in the administration of justice and on a day-to-day basis. Our next speaker will be Yolanda Shu. Yolanda will speak about rights and responsibilities of lawyers in the process of China's rule of law. She will present in her native language, Chinese, but we will provide a summary of her findings in English after each slide of her presentation. So, Yolanda, the floor is yours. Uh,非常高兴在晚上,我这看,在晚上看到大家。Uh,因为我在 uh, pleasure to join you from uh, the Beijing time evening. 嗯,因为我在家,所以不太方便,可能,所以就关了摄像头。So uh, mm. uh, I will just put on my slides and share with you what I have prepared. I'm presenting from my home, so I will just uh, um, switch on my camera for now. Yeah. Uh, 
啊，所以主题就是说啊，律师在中国法法治进程中的责任和权利。呃，所以这个图表我们可以看到，从一九七九年到二零二零年，中国律师的人数。那么一九七九年的时候，中国只有二百一十二个律师；到去年年底的时候，中国的律师已经，呃，超过了五十二万人。呃，呃，这个原因主要是因为中国的律师制度是从，呃，一九七九年开始建立的。那么最开始的时候，律师是作为，呃，公职人员，类似公职人员是属于事业的编制。那么直到一九九三年的时候，第一个公司合以呃，第一个私私人可以成立律师事务所。那么可以看到这个制度的变化导致了律师的蓬勃发展。呃，一九六年的时候，律师法啊、呃、公布了。嗯。First, I want to provide a, um, a general picture about the profession of Chinese lawyers in recent decades. As you can see from this chart, in the initial year, 1979, the total number of Chinese lawyers across the uh, country was uh, 212. That number, however, has increased rapidly in the past few decades. By the end of 2020 last year, the total number of registered Chinese lawyers amounts to over 520,000. So why is there such a rapid de development within China? There are several reasons. First, when the um, lawyer's profession was reintroduced to China in 1979, they um, worked uh, um, kind of uh, as a civil servant uh, uh, paid by the government, uh, kind of responsible to the gov gov uh, government. Um, that didn't change until the year 1993, when the Chinese uh, legislature um, stipulated that uh, private sectors could also establish their law firms. And in the year 1996, the first Chinese law on lawyers was adopted. And based on that law, more and more private sectors could uh, set up their law firms and lawyers could be employed by those private sectors. uh,所以这个是去年的律师的统计。那左边的这个图表，我们可以看到，啊，超过百分之八十的律师是为律师事务所工工作。啊，二点百分之二的这个律师大概是大学教授兼职的一个律师身份。百分之十一的是，嗯
the majority, over 81% of all the registered Chinese lawyers work within the law firms. And two, around 2%, they are part-time lawyers, normally um, the scholars, for instance, working at universities. And you also have around 11% of uh, lawyers employed by the public sectors, such as the government agencies or the stand-old enterprises. And you have a, a minor, minor uh, minority um, working on other uh, legal-related uh, uh, services. And in terms of the division of their work, they could uh, um, work on the litigation um, cases or non-litigation cases and uh, um, some uh, uh, provision of uh, the general uh, legal uh, Zai And for the part of litigation cases, um, normally Chinese uh, lawyers uh, work uh, mostly on civil cases. As you can see from the chart, over 80% are civil disputes, civil cases. And they also work on criminal cases, which makes up around 15%. And also they work on administrative disputes, the percentage of which is uh, um, over three of the total litigation cases. And for the uh, court procedure in the Chinese um, judicial system, of course, you have judge sitting in the middle. And uh, as the defense lawyer or as the um, uh, plaintiff lawyer, um, you have to present your arguments and your evidence. And based on the um, validity of your arguments and the validity of your uh, uh, evidence, the judge will make his or her decision. Uh Next, I want to move to the basic rights enjoyed by the lawyer in their judicial work. Um the right to know gives the uh, power to the lawyer um, who can access and also make a copy 
of the evidence of various forms. And also you can request to, to access the case files and apply for the exclusion of the illegally collected evidence. And all the details have been presented on this slide. 同时律师也可以申请获得证据进行上诉以及法律也规定了如何去保护律师的职业权利个人的安全以及会提供给律师提供便利 Another type of rights that I see are very important to our work include the first, the right to um, obtaining the evidence, the right to appealing the court, and the right to um, have your personal um, safety and rights protected. Uh, 所以律师的职责到底是去寻求正义还是说为了他的客户服务呢就是在诉讼中这个问题留给观众那么我们经常会在电影或者电视剧中看到律师化身为正义的代表但是呢警察或者是检察官往往被描述成破坏法治的罪
呃省去很多司法的资源。Why? Because um, if you look at the types of、uh, non-litigation cases Chinese lawyers are are working on, they mainly concern the um、uh, anti-monopoly cases. The um. Violation of、uh, fair competition、um, cases, the privacy data pr protection laws, and、uh, those type of cases, in my view, are really enhancing the spirit of trust in society and also reducing the um, um, the costs, reducing the costs of、uh, various sorts um, um, for the concerned parties, and also they can propose adversary opinions. To either the、um, concerned parties or the legislature. Ah, so it's just to this. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your attention. That is all I have prepared. Look forward to your question. Thank you so much, Yolanda, for your presentation, giving us a greater insight into the profession of lawyer in China and lawyers' rights. I would then say I hand over to my colleague Chao, and also thank you for interpreting Chao、uh, for some brief discussion of of those presentations. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie.、Um, I also want to thank、uh, Nina and Yolanda for your fascinating inputs, which I truly enjoyed. In particular, I find the point made by Nina quite important that、uh, such a trend has、uh, materialized as the court has become a kind of、uh, democratic arena, in your words, with、uh, the corrective power and with the judicial、uh, lawmaking power as the alternative to the classic、um, legislature-focused model.、Um, I also like the explanations、uh, you gave for that trend: the changing relationship between the legislature and the administration, the changing、um, expectations or rather demands from the public on the judiciary to be more open, more transparent, and more accountable. On this regard, I have a question for you. When you mentioned that you vision the ensured. Judicial independence, free from external control, as the requisite for the rule of law. I recall that the UN Anti-Corruption Convention notes that judicial staff may be bribed or under the political influence or under the close contact social influence to influence the procedure as well as the outcome of court cases,、um, or to misuse the public resources.、Uh, Uh, resulting in the trials being delayed or even collapsing. So, in your capacity as the、uh, president of CCJE, I wonder what is your view on how to ensure the integrity of judicial staff. On talk given by Yolanda, I also quite、uh, like the point、uh, when you summarize the sector of Chinese lawyers as the non-stateholder sector, which is quite recent, which Uh, didn't take place until the 80s, and I also like the key、uh, procedural rights you have mentioned during the talk. I wonder if you could、uh, share with us one of your um, um, experiences in which you exercised your lawyer's rights to accessing、uh, case files and to requesting the exclusion of illegal evidence. 
So what is the common strategy that you have applied in enhancing the likelihood that your request will be approved by the court? And when your request is rejected by the court, what is the common reasoning given by the court? Perhaps Nina, you could um, start if you have any thoughts on the judicial uh, Just one uh, clarification. You were referring to the integrity, not of judges, but of judicial staff, right? Judges also included. Judges also included. Uh, yeah, of course, judges are even more important than the integrity of uh, judicial staff. Of course, both is important. Uh, yes, we, lately we have seen a lot of emphasis being put on this aspect, because, of course, uh, if the judges, they have integrity, this is the best safeguard uh, against being corrupted. Um, I, I always say that it's not enough for a judge to be competent. Of course, this is a precondition we cannot do without. But it, not every competent judge is a good judge. This is just not enough. Um, what a good judge must possess are certain um, personal qualities, uh, personal characteristics uh, like um, uh, and integrity being uh, maybe uh, on the very top of this list uh, to have uh, just to, to give you some other examples, uh, to be um, uh, to, to have empathy, uh, uh, to be diligent, uh, to be um, uh, to have dignity, um, uh, to also to be um, uh, many other qualities, uh, and uh, these are the qualities that make a good judge. Uh, in, in this field, we have also uh, many examples of soft law, which clearly show how much attention is attached to this problem. Uh, also in the framework of UN, you mentioned UN, there are some guidelines on ethical behavior, uh, but also um, I mentioned I'm the president of the Consultative Council of Huron Judges. Uh, we also... Um, uh, delivered an opinion because uh, our main task is to deliver opinions on different aspects of uh, judicial work, judiciary, uh, judicial status. And one of uh, uh, our opinions that we uh, delivered is on the prevention of uh, corruption among judiciary. It is important that our that the judges themselves, they are aware of this problem and they deal with it. First uh, on, a, on, on the level of prevention and then of course if it happens then th th there should be a zero tolerance um, towards uh, the corruption. Is that conducted by independent inspection or by the senior judges by some kind of internal body or is external? Um, uh, there are uh, like, um, um, first we have that preventive measures, it is important and this is a clear recommendation to all judiciaries to have a judicial code, code of conduct uh, containing um, uh, standards and principles of judicial behavior, uh, an important instrument, but also that peer review of course, we must clearly distinguish between the independence 
and uh, uh, some supervision and the measures that would be uh, just uh, uh, not um, acceptable, bearing in mind the judicial independence. But uh, then in the field of enforcement, um, uh, we have uh, uh, many measures again. Uh, if uh, the criminal conduct takes place, uh, any judge is subject to criminal prosecution like any other citizens. This is clear. But before that, there can be also disciplinary measures, uh, and etc. So, thank you, Nina. Yolanda, do you want to share with us uh, your strategy to enhance the chance that the court will approve your requests? Um,对，是的，可以。那么，首先，第一，关于case file的这个获得，那么这个因为目前在中国就是呃很少会遇到阻力，嗯，对，就是比如说去检察院阅卷，或者是复制案卷，或者是有有的是有视频资料的，因为在呃基本上很多的地方会要求，比如说侦查人员
um, was uh, uh, turned down. So it's an usually um, when you file the request to, to uh, read or make a copy of the uh, case files, it's uh, usually um, um, approved and uh, they, there's uh, not so much challenge or problem in that regard. However, on your second point, our rights to request uh, to um, requesting the exclusion by the court of the illegally collected evidence, that, uh, that is a big, a bit tricky. I will explain why. First, you have to convince the judge with the sound evidence. But uh, in terms of uh, criminal cases, if you want to prove the evidence is really illegal, uh, the normal way is to prove there's some form of torture uh, employed in the evidence collection. But how can you prove uh, the torture, for instance, in the form of threat or in the form of mild uh, bodily um, uh, conflict uh, really occurred? So if you don't uh, have uh, strong evidence to convince the judge, the judge will not uh, just exclude the evidence in the file. However, there's some uh, uh, progress. For instance, uh, um, um, there's a regularly, uh, there's a regular body checkup um, on the criminal suspects. And based on those regularly um, uh, registered uh, uh, checkup reports, we could see whether at a particular time, a suspect or witness had some severe uh, harm on his or her body. So that could be a strong uh, evidence. Uh, other than that, uh, if you just have suspicion as a defense lawyer or the uh, procedural flaw involving total is uh, just a minor, uh, it's quite uh, uh, hard to have the evidence uh, simply uh, removed. Um, on the illegal evidence, the exclusion of illegal evidence is not only in criminal cases in China, but also civil ones. For instance, a lot, I have worked on some uh, privacy related cases. If, if you have a recording from a, a person's car or house without uh, a legally authorized permit, that the recording is not uh, acceptable by the court. So this exclusion of uh, evidence uh, illegally collected is not only in criminal cases, but also in civil ones. Um, thank you for answering my question, Yolanda. And uh, if Stephanie does not have further um, guidance, maybe we can open the floor to our participants. Yes, go ahead. Mm. I see we have uh, some participants here. I wonder if you have any questions to Nina or Yolanda. Yes, maybe I can jump in, Chow. I have my hand up, but I'm not sure if it's uh, very visible, so if that's all right. Hello, Arian. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Um, thank you to both the speakers and uh, to the organizers. Thank you for this initiative and this kickoff meeting. Um, my question is for Nina, which you may already expect because in my PhD research, I follow the CCJE. And it's been my pleasure to follow their work over a number of years. Um, so Nina, you already mentioned about soft law and uh, what we see now with bodies like the CCJE is there's a transition from soft law into the um, case study of the European Court of Human cases of the European Court of Human Rights and the judgments. So you see citation there, this movement towards hard law. Um, and of course, in Europe at the moment, there are threats to the rule of law in certain member states. 
Um, so I was wondering what you think judicial cooperation at the European level um, can contribute to upholding the rule of law um, and to helping national judiciaries, also keeping communication lines open to know what's really going on in national judiciaries, um, and then also the limitations of that, um, because of course there are limitations to, to making changes. Um, so perhaps you could speak to both the benefits of that transnational cooperation and, um, and where the pitfalls are of where the limitations of what you can do really lie. Thank you. Thank you, Erin, for this question. It's really pertinent. Uh, uh, would you allow me to show another slide which explains the soft law or at least gives a, a few examples of soft law? Yes, is this, is this allowed? Can I do yes, it? Yes, that would be perfect. Feel free. Yes. Yeah. Because, because, because my presentation was much longer, but of course we did not have that much time. Um, so, yes, uh, this is quite a trend, judicial soft law. And to, just to give you a few examples, still the best known would be this, the so-called um, Bangalore principles of judicial conduct. Um, they were then eventually they were adopted in 2002. Um, but, but also other, other um, uh, international standards uh, that were, for example, drawn up by the Council of Europe, uh, um, uh, several recommendations of the Committee of Ministers adopted by the Council of Europe. And then we also have uh, uh, opinions, the aforementioned opinions of the Consultative Council of European Judges. Uh, this year, we will um, deliver another opinion. Uh, we did so in the past. One of our opinions, it was on um, a, um, uh, councils for the judiciary. And because we uh, there was some development, not so very good, I'm afraid, in this direction, we decided to do it again and to tackle some problems related to uh, councils for the judiciary. Um, yes, Erin, um, I, I can see you, you know a lot about it, about the soft law. We have seen lately, uh, thanks uh, to the Strasbourg court, um, the soft law being quite a lot um, uh, quite cited in the judgments of the Strasbourg court. Um, uh, for example, one of the latest examples was the case uh, Astrazon uh, versus um, Iceland. Um, so what is in fact soft law? I tried to explain here, there are several definitions. Um, uh, well, one of the definitions could be rules of conduct which have no binding effect, but which nevertheless, they may have practical effects. So the so-called attenuated legal force, uh, which has international legitimacy. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, I can't make my mind up whether I'm optimistic or pessimistic. Um, uh, well, in, in the context of these many problems that we are facing and uh, uh, the, the rule of law and the independence of uh, uh, judiciary uh, being uh, under threat. For example, one of the examples is Poland, of course. Um, but um, what I think, thanks to uh, international uh, bodies such as the Consultative Council of European Judges and the communication 
uh, lines, they remain open. And we, at least we know what is going on. Uh, we are in touch. Uh, with uh, the members of, uh, for example, of the Polish Association of Judges Justitia. And, uh, mm, uh, well, of course, uh, the, the CCJE, it, it is an advisory body, not even a monitoring body uh, of the Council of Europe. And it, it, it must always act, I'm afraid, I am aware of this, uh, within the boundaries of the Council of Europe. And uh, sometimes, sometimes um, the word changes, but uh, the, the institutions, they do not change uh, as fast as the world changes, I'm afraid. So uh, sometimes, um, uh, sometimes the institutions, they are important, but uh, I, I would like to see them as part of the solution, not part of the problem, of course. Uh, but I remain op uh, optimistic. I was invited to the celebration of the 31st anniversary of the Polish Association of uh, Judges Justitia very recently. And it was a very big celebration also with, uh, with uh, some international guests. And uh, we were all, this was a shock for us because before I have attended other such celebrations and, you know, they tend to be quite boring and, uh, well, not, not always a lot of fun. But this one was so passionate. It was so exciting. exciting. There was a, such energy uh, uh, the Polish judges possess. And this was one side. And another issue... Uh, that really shocked me profoundly is the communication strategy they have. Um, they, uh, before this happened, the, 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 before this dismantling of uh, uh, the rule of law started in Poland, uh, they uh, they were they were. I will use now Adam Bodnar. This is the the former ombudsman in Poland. He said the Polish judiciary. Uh, was not doing too bad and not doing too good, you know, too well. It was somewhere in the middle. It was uh, uh, very average, but they were all hidden in their offices. Nobody knew them. But then a big change happened. Maybe the turning point was when they had that march of thousand probes and they went out to streets and they changed their approach they started, this is what I was talking about, they started explaining to the people why the independence of judiciary is important. So um, when we, um, uh, we took a, tech, a, a cab, a taxi, uh, to get to the celebration, there was a taxi driver and he was really touched when they told him uh, who they were and uh, he thanked them and told them to keep on do doing what they're doing because thanks to them, he can do what he does, you know, for, for a living. Um, so um, uh, they, they went to streets, they went to schools explaining, you know, and this is really unique that um, I feel that uh, uh, the civil society is on their side. It, excuse me, it, it took me a bit longer probably than, than you expected, but I felt I, I just had to say this. Yeah, of thank course, you, thank Nina. you. Thank you, Nina. And also thank you, Erin, for your excellent question. 
thanks to which we could hear yes, more observations. Yeah, we could hear more observations from Nina. Meanwhile, we have another question for Nina from Gail. And Gail, could you give us a concrete example? What do you mean by judges' decisions are more or less adequate? Uh, Jill, can you help us? You post a question in the chat saying, how can you prove the judge's um, characteristics? Can you give us a brief example? What do you mean by that? Okay, good. Yeah, I think I understand. Oh, okay, even better. Yes, yeah. I was talking about the personal qualities of a judge. And of course, when he is appointed, this is the very crucial point in, uh, in the career of every judge. Because one, someone who is not good uh, enters the judiciary, the judicial corps, it's very, very, it's not so easy to get rid of him, to dismiss him. So it's important to have the right person when he or she gets appointed. So as to the competence, we all know, we have, we have uh, um, certain documents to prove that we have the, 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 the right legal background and everything that is required for this uh, hard job. But as to personal qualities, um, the practices of um, countries, they dif differ, but uh, uh, many more and more countries, they would also use uh, psychological tests. Uh, and almost all of them, uh, they uh, would use um, interviews, uh, structure interviews uh, to find out if this is the right person for, for the job. Thank you, Nina. I hope the GL is also happy with your answer. Um, I think we still have time, right, Stephanie, for another one or two questions. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, any, yeah, any other questions? If no one else has a question for, for Nina or Yolanda, then I would also have a two questions left. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't seem the, to be the case. Maybe you can start, Stephanie. Okay, um, generally, um, because we've talked uh, to Yolanda, generally also talked about the increasing politicization of judges. I was wondering how generally human rights are addressed within uh, the legal profession in, in China. What kind of role plays this? Mm -hmm. And um, to Nina, I also have a question. Well, there's also, as we all know, a widespread, um, yeah, um, yeah, more and more human rights defenders, lawyers, and journalists are subjected to to politicized charges and convictions, particularly, for instance, in Russia and Azerbaijan. And I was wondering how such misconduct of judges is addressed um, within the CCGE, or what kind of mechanism exists there, or how can this be, be discussed uh, within the CCG? Mm. Sorry, um, I 
I, I, I don't understand your question. Can you uh Yeah, speak? not a problem. I will briefly translate for you. 他就是想说，在今天分享当中，嗯，妮娜提到了在欧洲这边有一种呃司法实践和呃政治决策，嗯，相交叉的情况。他想问一下，类似的在中国，尤其是在人权领域，律师在人权案件当中发挥了怎么
就是人权，嗯，就是作为一个类别，我觉得我理解的话，就是说在具体的每一个案件中，就可能是诉讼，也可是可能是非诉，去给我的当事人争取的权利。那么，我觉得他这个其实是一个对人权的体现。就比如说，呃，之前很长一段时间以来，对于，呃，就是外卖小哥的权利的保障。那么很多外卖小哥就是，啊、呃。就是外卖平台是把他们作为一个自由的劳动者去保护的，就是这样子的话，他们可能就没有一些保险或者是其他的一些福利的权利。那么，我觉得这个呃，嗯，就是很多学者，包括律师，都会有很多的这种公开的发表的一些啊、呃，比如说嗯，讲话呀，或者是文章啊，来认为他不是这样的一个法律关系。那么，平台应该给外卖小哥。来承担这种劳双方这种劳动关系，那么现在可能这个问题也还在啊焦灼过程中，但是呢，嗯，监管机关的态度已经有变化了，就是认为说一定要保护这些劳动者的权利，啊，嗯，我我觉得这个其实就是一个人权的体现。嗯，啊 ，I'm not I'm not so sure what do you mean by human rights cases. At least in my work experience. When I take a case, I wouldn't clarify it as a, a human rights or non-human rights case, but merely what kind of、uh, interests have been violated in that particular case.、Um, I will give you one example. For instance, I have been working on both litigation and non-litigation cases concerning the labor rights of the deli delivery men and women. As you know, the delivery business is huge currently in China. However, major delivery platforms. Didn't and haven't provided uh, the um, fixed form for their labor and social securities. And together with my colleagues, we have been working on this type of labor um, labor cases. Um, presenting the interests of deliv delivery person,、uh, asking the、um, delivery platform to set up some fixed form for their. Uh, labor relations and associated、uh, social benefits. So this is、uh, how I see through each individual case, through protecting a specific、uh, interest of specific groups. This is also a form of promoting,、uh, if you like, human rights、uh, in the end.、Um, so that is my、um, answer to your question. Thank you so much to to Nina and also Yolanda for answering my my questions. So I think we have、uh, reached、uh, the time of of the kickoff meeting of Enroll. First, I would like to thank our two wonderful speakers for their presentations. It was a great pleasure to have you with us at the kickoff meeting of Enroll. We've discussed many important issues, and also a big thank you to our audience joining us from many different time zones today for your questions and comments. So we will be back. Enroll will be back in December, and we hope we will see all of you then again. Okay, and then I would say goodbye. Have a good day. Bye bye. Thank you, Nina. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.